Welcome to the ABCA's podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Brownlee. Next up on the ABCA podcast are Jake Boss Jr. and Sr. We're putting a different spin on the father and son episodes with this one because from 2008 to 2012, Coach Boss Sr. was Coach Boss Jr.'s assistant coach at Michigan State. Jake Boss Sr. is a Michigan High School Baseball Coaches Association Hall of Famer. He coached baseball and football at Lansing Everett High School. He spent 23 years as the head baseball coach there. He mixed in college and high school coaching after that with stops as an assistant at Eastern Michigan, assistant at Alma College, head coach at Lansing Catholic, and assistant at Michigan State. Jake Boss Jr. has been the head coach at Michigan State since 2008. His 333 wins in 11 seasons is the most in program history over any 11-year span. They were Big Ten champs in 2011 and a regional participant in 2012. He was head coach at Eastern Michigan in 2008 winning the MAC West and going to the regionals for the first time since 2003. He had successful stints as an assistant at Iowa Central Community College, Eastern Michigan, and Michigan. In this episode, we discuss Jake Boss Sr.'s favorite memories as an assistant for Coach Boss Jr. at Michigan State. We also hit on their experience together with Jake Boss Jr. playing for senior in high school. Both of their mentors along the way, both of their long histories in the game, Jake Boss Jr. was surrounded by great baseball people on his coaching journey as an assistant for Rick Sanquist, Roger Coriel, and Rich Maloney. So he dives into the things he picked up from each of them along the way. They both give great pointers for coaches and parents, and Coach Boss Jr. and I discuss his book, Dare to Hit 400. Again, I wanted to give a heartfelt thank you to our listeners. We've recorded over 50 podcasts with the ABCA Reboot, and I've gotten over half a million downloads with it. I really appreciate everybody listening in. Again, if you're enjoying it, please tell a friend. Uh, word of mouth is the best form of advertisement for podcasts. Uh, let's welcome uh, Jake Boss Jr. and Senior to the podcast. Here with uh, Jake Boss Jr. and Jake Boss Senior. Thank you two very much for jumping on with me today. Thanks for having us, Ryan. Appreciate it. Thank you. I'll get right into it. Um, Jake Jr., had your dad ever coached you before high school in any athletic endeavor, any sports team before high school? No, you know, and it's funny because I remember playing Little League, and uh, I remember driving home one day from a game, and I'm crying my eyes out because I was so frustrated, and I, I very vividly remember asking my dad, why don't you coach our team? And uh, he said, uh, he said, nope, you got to play for that guy, and uh you got to figure it out. And so I was probably eight years old at the time or something, but uh, no, but he, he never really, he never coached me, you know, other than anything in the backyard until uh, really until my junior year in high school. Jake senior, what was your reasoning for that to not coach him before high school? Well, you know, he was under the guise of, of uh, he had a coach and uh, I wanted to stay not totally divorced from that whole situation, but I, I did not want to undermine whatever that coach was telling him, whatever he was teaching him. I did not want my son to have, you know, to, to receive two different messages and, uh, and further, you know, confuse the whole situation. So I, 
you know, I wasn't divorced from that situation, but I, I kind of stayed in the background. So when Jake's junior does get to high school, how was it? What were the challenges when he finally gets there and you get to coach him for the first time? Well, he, you know, that the my, summer... my talent level, <laughs> biggest challenge. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to cut him, but my assistant coach said to keep him. So, you know, no, it was uh, th that first year was a tough year. And I think it was tougher for him, maybe tougher for him than it was for me because I was, it was pretty tough on, on the young man. And, and uh, because I, I certainly didn't want nepotism to, you know, come into play here. And, uh, but he, uh, he did a good job for us and, uh, you know, he was an all conference player and uh, his, his ability spoke for him for itself. So it went, it went pretty good, uh, especially the second year was a lot easier than the first year. Jake Jr., how was it with your friends then in high school, dealing with having dad as a coach and, you know, having teammates that are friends? How was that? Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of good and probably some bad. You know, I wasn't uh, – I guess I wasn't the big uh, social, uh, you know, guy maybe in high school. I kind of kept to myself. And part of that was my choosing and part of it was, uh, you know, I didn't get invited to many of the parties because of who my dad was and uh, – you know, I mean, I guess that might have been tough at the time, but uh, you know, the 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 positives certainly you know outweighed the negatives. And um, you know, I think once once I got you know a circle of friends and, and uh, you know really started to get close to some of those guys, it was really you know kind of no different. Um, you know, my dad was a he was a tough, hard nosed you know uh, coach and uh, gym teacher as well. And, and I remember sitting in class, I'll never forget it. It was our government class, my first day of school there. And uh, the teacher's reading off the roll uh, and he comes to my name and, and uh, you know, I raised my hand and said, I'm here. And this girl that was sitting next to me, I could feel her just, you know, staring at me. And I looked over and she goes, wait a minute, are you Mr. Boss's son? And I said, yeah. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. It was the funniest thing. Um, but you know, he was, he was, a he was a, a hard nosed guy that didn't, you know, didn't take a whole lot and, uh, you know, didn't put up with a whole lot. I mean, you did it the right way or you didn't do it. And, uh, that translated to gym class too. And some people thought, you know, probably that he was a little overboard, maybe mean, but you know, I, you wouldn't get that from any of his players. So, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was kind of a mixed bag. And I don't know if you remember when you got the Michigan State job, I called you because I saw that your dad was going to come help you. And I'm like, hey, you do know that you can't fire your dad, right? <laughs> I remember that conversation. <laughs> yes, and I was threatened a number of times. Okay? <laughs> Jake Sr., what, what are your best, best memories there? You know, he gets that, the Michigan State job. What were your, some of your best memories there from 08 to 2012 when you guys got to coach together? Well, oh, man, there, there's so many. But I – I think the best one was the year we won the Big Ten in 2011. And, uh, you know, he'd been talking to the kids ever since he got there about his vision of a dog pile on the field and, and all this and that. And, and sure enough, all that came to fruition and, uh, and we won it. And, and sure enough, the dog piles on the field, all the coaches were in the dugout, we're all hugging each other. And, and then uh, I kind of stayed back in the dugout when Jake and the other coaches went out on the field and, and I'm watching my son and 
it got very emotional for me. It was, uh, that was quite an experience, but there were a number of, of highlights. Uh, I mean, just the fact of being in the dugout and, you know, with my son, a division one baseball coach, I mean, golly, it's, it doesn't get better than that. And, and I remember so well, the, the day, uh, uh, the press conference at Michigan State when he was announced as the head baseball coach. Our whole family was was there, and uh, that was that was quite something as well. And Coach Boss Senior, you I mean you, you coached high school, you coached college, you coached baseball, football. Who were some of your mentors when you first got going that helped you along the way? Well, I go back to my high school coach. I. Uh, uh, I went to uh, Chicago Christian High School in in, uh, in Illinois, and uh, they're now in Palos Heights, Illinois. And my coach was Will Slager, who was also the basketball and baseball coach. And at one time, he was the winningest basketball coach in the state of Illinois. Tough, hard-nosed guy, and and I tried to I tried to emulate him as as much as possible at the start of my career, and and, and so forth, and. Uh, I really, really did look up to him, and I and I thought I got a lot of my, a lot of my stuff from him. Coach Bush Jr., um, can you talk about Rick Sanquist at Iowa Central a little bit and what he meant to you? And then you can talk about Roger Coriel and and Rich Maloney as well if you want to, just to kind of give people a, a little bit of background on yourself. You've been around some great baseball men, um, you know, just to to talk about those guys a little bit. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, Rick, uh, so I had taught high school English right out of uh, college for a year and a half and, and was fortunate to be the varsity baseball coach at, at uh, Weberville High School for a year. But um, I wanted to get into college baseball and I answered an ad in the NCAA news. I called Rick Sandquist at Iowa Central Community College and and he went through the whole process of, of kind of what they were doing. That They dropped the program the year before. Uh, because the, they had 10 players uh, and then two of them became ineligible. So they, they couldn't finish with eight. So they dropped the program, let the head coach go and hired Rick. And Rick, in, his, in our first conversation, Rick said, we're going to win a national championship. And I was just, I was kind of, you know, really? You know, I, and the more we talked, the more his passion for the game, the more his passion for, for kids and, and young people uh, just kept coming forward and coming through and and uh you know he uh he just there was there was just something about him where I thought you know what um I gotta go work for this guy and so I left a really good teaching job with good benefits and, and all of that to uh to move out to Iowa to work for Rick and I made like five thousand dollars and lived in the dorms and ate in the cafeteria but um it was a great experience for me because you know I again I just learned about you know, the, 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 the passion that he had for, for kids. Um, he's an emotional guy. He's not afraid to show that in front of his team. Um, and uh, just selling the vision of what he wanted, of what he had for that program. And, and sure enough, the first year we're in the World Series, the second year we lost in the national championship game. And, uh, you know, just the fact that he was able to sell that vision to these kids, um, learned a tremendous amount you know, from, from Rick and uh, just talked to him a couple weeks ago and, and uh, you know, just a, a really, really good man. And, and the guy that taught me an awful lot again about recruiting, about the game, about the right way to play it, I think. Um, and what that passion and belief, you know, can do for a team. 
Um, I went there, I left there and uh, worked for Roger Coriel at Eastern Michigan, one of the uh, probably the great baseball minds maybe uh, in our game ever. Um, and uh, probably doesn't get enough credit for that. Uh, but, uh, you know, Roger knew the game like nobody else. And, uh, you know, really, I, I learned a lot from him about, you know, how to run a program uh, at the Division One level. Um, you know, but I think the most, the, the biggest thing I learned from Roger is, uh, was probably looking for maybe that diamond in the rough, you know, finding one, um, you know, one skill, one of the, uh, you know, uh, of the five, uh, you know, um, um, skills, I guess, and really trying to, to uh, use that to our advantage, uh, whether it be speed, whether it be arm strength, you know, whatever it is. Uh, Roger had a unique ability to, to find that one talent and um, use that to our advantage as far as our team was concerned. So there were guys that, you know, we took that went unrecruited, that nobody else saw, that nobody else, you know, thought maybe could could play and you know Roger saw something in him and by the time that kid was a junior or senior he turned into a really good player and and um you know was fortunate to work for him for for seven years um and he he was very good to me in that you know eventually I had to earn my stripes but he turned a lot over to me and um you know uh I, I, he gave me a lot of responsibility that he sure certainly you know didn't have to um and, and so that helped me along the way and then went to work for Rich uh, at Michigan and, uh, you know, we had some talented kids there. And, and again, it was kind of like working for Rick, you know, uh, at Iowa central, just that, that vision and that dream and that how good can we be, uh, and really setting the bar, you know, high, you know, for, for our program. And, uh, um, you know, Rich certainly did that uh, again, another outstanding motivator, um, and a guy that loves his players, you know, and, uh, and that's very, very evident when you're at, uh, at practice, uh, with them and around them every single day. And so, um, you know, and then, you know, on top of that kind of learn how to, you know, uh, run a program at a really, really high level. And, you know, we had a lot of success and, and under Rich's guidance there. And, uh, you know, certainly those, all three, got three of those guys, you know, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for all three of those guys, for sure. Rick Sandquist, that made for a great recruiting experience because Ricky pitched for us at Iowa. So it was great to be able to spend a lot of time with Rick um, in that whole process. And then, you know, being in the MAC as long as you were, for me, the MAC and the Missouri Valley are very similar because probably don't get a lot of credit as baseball conferences, but you look up and have sneaky amount of big leaguers that came out of both of those leagues and really hard nosed conferences good baseball conferences you know you get the job at eastern michigan in 08 uh the start of the year doesn't start out great for you guys but you end up in the regionals you're the mac coach of the year what was the turning point for you guys that season because i was it 0 and 15 0 and 16 and then you turn it was 0 and 17 0 and 17 you know, it was interesting, Ryan, because when I interviewed for the job, I looked at the schedule and I told the AD, I said, you know, there's a really good chance we're going to be 0-15, you know, because we went out and played uh, Ray Birmingham's team in New Mexico, and and they were one of the, you know, I mean, his, his offensive approach is, you know, second to none, and they put it on us a couple, you know, and actually it was, it was his it was his first game uh, there as well. So, you know, two head coaches coaching against each other in their very first, uh, first Division One games, and you know, his teams have always spoken for themselves. Uh, we left there, went to Florida, 
you know, um, you know, left Florida, went to uh, Florida Atlantic, and they were in the top 20, I think, at the time under Coach Tooney. Um, went from there to Tennessee and then to Kentucky and, you know, playing some, some outstanding programs. And we were playing well, um, and, and we lost a lot of leads late. I think we got walked off four or five times in those first 17 games. And so you kind of felt that we were close. Um, you know, we had a big leaguer on that team, Matt Shoemaker, uh, who's pitching in the uh, uh, for the Blue Jays now, uh, was on that team, but he was hurt. So there were a couple turning points probably, you know, but the the one – you know, getting Shoemaker back and healthy was was obviously huge. But we were playing Miami of Ohio in the MAC opener in a really good ball game, and it was freezing cold. Um, and we had a kid named Mike <laughs> Sasha uh, who just – he broke his back in December. Um, he got himself healthy, came back, first practice in, in February, uh, bunted a ball off the bat off of his face, broke an orbital bone. Um, and, and so it was just – you know, he was a great kid, hard worker, but just couldn't – stay healthy um and uh he was the last guy on the bench in in that first mat game and uh really close game go to extra innings uh i had gotten myself into a situation after a couple pitching changes double switches we had a couple two-way guys that uh mike was the last guy and i had a pitcher on deck um and uh fortunately for us the guy before ended the inning so, you know, I had a little bit of time to think and I said, all right, Mike, you're going to hit for the pitcher, you know, to lead off. I think it was the 11th inning. And, um, you know, it was the first at bat of the year for him. And uh, I'll never forget it. He swung at the first pitch, uh, which was a breaking ball that bounced in front of home plate. Uh, the second pitch was another breaking ball that bounced on home plate. So 0-2. Uh, and then, you know, he just kind of followed a couple pitches off, worked the count to full. Uh, and then uh, connected on a fastball, uh, and the ball. Uh, I'm watching. I just couldn't believe he made contact first, you know, because I, I, I felt bad because I, you know, you know how it is. You, you try to put your kids in situations to be successful. And I just didn't think I was being fair to Mike at that point because you know he hadn't seen live pitching since really October, you know. But Mike ran into one, and he was a big, strong guy, and uh, and ended up hitting a walk-off home run uh, to win the game. And really, one of the more one of the more thrilling moments I would say in my coaching career, watching that happen. And uh, I think that really turned the, turned the, turned things around for us. You know, we finally got that confidence, like, you know, we were really close, but we just couldn't finish a game off and, and finally won a game in extra innings. And, uh, and then it just kind of, it kind of rolled from there, but, you know, you got to give Roger Correa a lot of, a lot of credit because he's the guy that put that team together uh, he put the schedule together and while, you know, that was kind of a, a staple of his, we, we'd get our, we get our, our, our tails kicked a little bit early, but, uh, prepared us for, uh, uh, you know, really good mid-American conference. Uh, and, um, you know, the team got hot and, and we were fortunate enough to win a championship. I felt the exact same way when I showed up at Western, when I looked at Arkansas, Arkansas State, Michigan, I was like, we may lose our first 20 games. We're going to be okay. Because <laughs> all fall, I was like, okay, we can pitch a little bit. We, we can do some things. And I, we ended up squeaking some out early, but I was in the same yeah. boat. I was like, we may not win a game till we get to conference play. You know, I, your, your teams, I've always thought, have been so physical. You know, I, I, th I think about all the teams that you've coached. That's always been a trademark of on the position side is you have f physical, physical position players. Yeah, and that's one thing that Roger really liked, you know, as well. I think he would take that big, strong, physical kid uh, that maybe a little bit rougher on the edges, 
um, and understanding that, you know, he may not do a whole lot, maybe the first year, first two years or whatever. But by that, by the time that guy's a junior or senior, you know, you got something. And, and he, you know, again, he was, I think he was a little bit ahead of his time um, with the, you know, the idea that, you know, I mean, he, he told guys every day in practice, he wanted to get the ball in the air. He said, he would always say, get the ball in the air. I want to see your power. And, and I looked at him, you know, we had arguments about this too. Like this kid can't hit the ball out of the yard. You know, he's, he's five, nine and 140 pounds or whatever, but um, you know, it, it was more, you know, trying to create backspin, which is what we see now all yep. the time. I mean, guys are teaching it and whether you agree with it or not, you know, the, the home run has become a huge part of the game and that's what Roger was doing 20 years ago, you know? So, um, you know, a lot of credit, you know, again, goes to him for putting that team together. I would tell you too, though, I, I really realized the importance of fall ball fall baseball, uh, because I got that job at Eastern Michigan right around Thanksgiving. Um, you know, and kids had one week of school left and then finals and then they went home. And so we really, part of that was, was my fault as well. That 0 17 start, cause we didn't know what we had and we're just plugging guys in in different places and to, just to kind of see how it would all settle in. And then once we got the conference play, like I said, it, it started to roll for us a little bit better. Jake senior, what did coaching football help you on the baseball side? I thought coaching football really helped me uh, the, to become a better baseball coach. And I think one of the things, <coughs> excuse me, one of the things that uh, I really learned from football was organization. And uh, boy, you had to be organized in football. And if you weren't, boy, you were, you know, you were at, you were at sea swimming for your life. And and. Uh, you know, so I took that, I took that into baseball and, and, uh, had recorded all my written down, all my practice plans and had them all typed up and everything. And, you know, and, and I saved them, I saved all of them from my very first practice until my last practice. I saved, I saved them all. And then somehow or another, my wife threw them out. <laughs> so, but, uh, yeah, that, that was, probably the most important thing I, I got out of coaching football. And Jake Jr., um, those Michigan teams you guys had, 05, 06, 07, they were a handful. I mean, I know that firsthand being at Iowa. You know, but I think about Chris Gatz, he, he gets there in 04, he was at Wake Forest. You know, you had some really good bounce backs in, in that time span. Um, has the transfer rule helped or hurt Division One baseball, do you think? Well, I think it depends on where you're at. You know, I think at Michigan, you know, Chris got there uh, before I, I got there. Um, and side you know, note, he had just worn us out the year before at Wake Forest. <laughs> I'm at James Madison coaching, and we go to play you guys, and I see, I'm like, Getz, I know that name from somewhere. I'm like, he just wore us out last year at Wake Forest, and now he's going to sit there and wear us out for, for two years at Michigan. It could really hit, man. It could really hit. And, you know, play the game. It undersized easy. player, too. You yeah. know, game changer for an undersized yep. kid. For sure. And, and he got a lot of flack from from uh, from our guys, too, because it didn't it didn't look like he played hard. Um, but when you put the stopwatch on him, it was one of those guys that, uh, you know, you, gotta, you think, man, there's got to be more in there. But, uh, you know, you put the watch on it, and it's a four flat down the line. And, and it just, he just made every everything he did, he made it look easy. That's why he's a big leaguer. Yeah, it's exactly right. And, uh, you know, Nate Recknagel was another guy that transferred in um, that had a, a couple huge years for us. You know, at Michigan, big, strong guy, um, you know, with a lot of power that uh, 
um, you know, came in as a catcher. We ended up moving him to first base. So Well, nice um, pieces then with that 06 team, that freshman class with Christian, Abraham, and Putnam. Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, yeah, Abraham was another one that – Adam Abraham really was playing hockey yeah. uh, in Canada, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, his high school coach called and said, I think you got to take a look at this guy. And, uh, you know, Rich and I went to go see him work out and, and thought, you know, tough, hard-nosed kid that uh, that we thought we needed to have, you know. So, you know, the transfer rule, yeah, I think is uh, has, has been good, uh, you know, in, in a certain sense. But, again, I think it's it depends on where you're at. Um, you know, I really believe that, uh, I, I really believe that, that the, the one-time transfer, you know, without penalty, I'm not a big fan of it, to be quite honest with you. Um, uh, well, I think we all know what it looked like before that rule got put yeah, into place. Right. And that, that was a problem. I thought it was an issue for, for guys at the mat in the Mac when I was at Eastern Michigan, you know, we were scared to death to send, send a kid out to play summer baseball. And, and, you know, really you almost, <laughs> You know, you almost kind of hope he had a decent summer, but not too good because we didn't want him to end up somewhere else, you know, and that, I, I don't know. I just think ethically, um, you know, I think it opens the door to a lot of, you know, potential problems. So, um, you know, I, that, I guess that's just my, my feeling on it. I think uh, uh, when you make a quick decision and a hasty decision, um, I, I think that uh, that can lead to a lot of issues. And so I think by keeping that, you know, the idea there that, that you need to sit for a year, um, I, I think really makes you think about whether you truly want to transfer or not. And I think it slows the process down, which I think in turn helps you make a, a, a better decision. If that And if it does end up being a decision where, you know, you still want to transfer, then then so be it. You know, then, then that's fine. But uh, Well, you, yeah, you look at the, the World Series, you know, since the roster cap, the 25% rule and the transfer rule were put into place. You have teams that have won the national championship that never had an opportunity to win the national championship or even go to Omaha, you know, programs like Stony Brook, uh, you know, Fresno wins the national championship, Oregon state, um, coastal Carolina, coastal Kent state, Indiana. Well, you know, Michigan getting there last year. I mean, I think that's all a result of, uh, of what you just said, those three things. And I think it helps, it helps uh, northern baseball, and I think it helps, uh, um, you know, maybe even the mid-majors, you know, keep keep that talent at home, which which I don't think is a bad thing at all. No, not at all. Yeah. What What is still relevant about Dare to Hit 400? <laughs> not a whole lot. <laughs> Come on. Well, I mean, you look at it like that. I, I'm writing my notes, and I'm like, you know what? 400 used to be an attainable thing. Like there, there were guys hitting 400. I know the bats have changed, but you look at what's going on at the big league level now. It's going to be the worst year of batting average ever. It's going to they're going to break another year of of strikeouts. They've had 13 straight years of of more strikeouts than they had the year before. You look at all those things. So I mean, there there's got to be some value still to it. You know what what still has value with it. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I was an English major in college and I moved out to Iowa Central and uh, I just I really wanted to pour myself into the job. You know, I, I did this for a reason. I'm going to really go all in. And and uh, our hitting guy uh, at Iowa Central is a guy named Kevin Zeesman, who, who lives down in Texas now. and Just a brilliant, brilliant hitting guy. And he, it was really his idea. He said, let's write a book. And uh, I thought, well, okay, you know, I think I know a little bit about hitting. He knows a lot about hitting and I'm the English guy. So we kind of sat down the two of us and, 
and hammered it out. And, uh, you know, I think in, our, in my philosophies probably have changed just a little bit, you know, over time, maybe with some of the mechanical things that, that we do, but, you know, I, I'm not a big launch angle guy, you know, and, and I think at the college game, uh, you know, there are certain places that can probably get away with that. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at Indiana's team a couple years ago that they struck out a bunch and they hit a ton of home runs. And I mean, a big physical lineup that uh, scared you to death because anybody, you know, there was uh, anybody in that lineup was a threat to leave the yard. Um, at the same time, I think it kind of speaks to coaching philosophies too, maybe a little bit where, uh, you know, they, the strikeouts didn't bother them a whole lot and, and uh, I'm not there yet. <laughs> and, and so the strikeouts still kind of drive me crazy, you know, so um, you know, we, we try to stay in the, you know, take a, an approach that's in the middle of the field still. And, uh, you know, again, I'm not a big launch angle type of guy. I think, you know, fly balls are outs. Uh, but your numbers back it up. Your teams have always hit, you know, you, your, your well, teams have always hit. We've had, we've had really good hitting guys too. You know, I mean, Graham Sykes is an outstanding hitting coach and, uh, uh, has really done a great job, I think with our hitters and, and we changed some things up last year and I think it really worked. Uh, you know, in the 15 games that we were able to what play. What did you guys switch up, if you don't mind sharing? Well, it was it just kind of the way that we went about our business, I think. We changed fall practice around a little bit. I remember you saying that at the Barnstormers yeah. event that you were going to tweak some things. Yeah, we put more of an emphasis on, on the offensive side of it. We, you know, maybe a little bit less team stuff last year uh, and more individual stuff on the offensive end and just really made sure that we were getting – uh, you know, a good number of swings in per, you know, per week. And then every day, each, the hitters each had a plan. Um, it was almost a, uh, you know, it, it was almost a glorified warm-up, I guess. But we took them through about 70, I think, to 75 swings um, to get ready to hit. And you don't step on the field until you get this done in the cage. And, and uh, each one of the drills kind of reinforced some of the techniques that we were talking about and it really, you know, and, and Graham put it together and he did a heck of a job doing it. And it really did start to carry over. And, and uh, you know, again, I think the idea of the home run is great. I think when we hit a home run, I'm certainly not going to complain uh, at the same time, you know, I think he, we, at least for us, you know, we do that through repetitive, um, you know, positive fundamentals. Uh, and then when we square it up and it, it happens to go out, then it goes out, you know, but we really try to take almost, you know, I mean, you played against Minnesota for a long time and those guys can always hit. And if you watch their batting practice uh, and it hit me when we were playing them early on in my career during, uh, during our warmups, you know, they're on the field hitting and we're stretching down the line and there's nobody protecting our guys. Uh, there's nobody out there, you know, protecting our guys as they stretched down the line because he didn't need to because there were no balls that went down the lines. Everything was in the middle of the field. And uh, and you watch those guys hit and it carries over to, uh, you know, to the ball game. It carries over to the success that they've had. So we try to take a little bit out of that, you know, that their approach as well, um, because I think consistency, you know, through a 56 game season, you know, even for the big leaguers, it's a it's a short season for us. You know, that's a that's a 56 game grind. And if we can be consistent, I think we get a chance to win more than we don't. Hey, do you feel like with the 60 game big league season, we're seeing bunning a lot more now because of it? Yeah, I think you see a different offensive approach and I think you see a different approach with the bullpens, too. Uh, it's really been fun to watch, I think. I, it's been great. 
Jake Sr., when you got to Michigan State in 08, what, what were the biggest difference for you when you first started? And then when you got there, what kind of popped out to you with the differences of when you first got going and then when you get there? Well, the biggest, the biggest difference, first of all, was the talent level of the kids. And, uh, I mean, it was, it was a market, uh, markedly different and, uh, which was really kind of refreshing. And that's not a knock against the kids that I, it's, it's fun when you're coaching better guys. It is, it's a lot more fun when you're coaching better players. It really was. But one of the big, uh, one of the big adjustments I had was working for this guy and, uh, you know, and, you know, for 30 years, I was doing what I wanted to do and, and how I organize things and how I set things up and, and I did it this way and I did it that way. And then now I'm working for, for Jake and, and it's, it's a little bit different. And I had to, uh, I didn't always agree, but I had, I, I learned very quickly what an assistant coach, what his responsibilities were. And that was to support the head guy and to teach what he wanted to be taught. And, uh, regardless of how I felt about it, I had to sell it to the kids and, and that was my job, but that, that was the biggest thing. And, you know, and, and, uh, I would do certainly things uh, differently than what he did. I would write up my practices different. I would do things a little bit different than, and that. So that was, it was really an adjustment, but as a result, I, you know, I learned a lot from him and, uh, and the other assistant coaches as well. So it was really, it was a great experience. It, it, it was a, <laughs> it was a lifetime experience for, for me. And, uh, I just wish, uh, you know, more guys uh, had the opportunity to work and, and to coach their sons as I have. Yeah. It's awesome. I think that's a mark of being a good assistant is making your head coach look good. You know, no, yeah. no matter if you agree with them or, or not, you get 10 baseball guys in a room, you're going to have 10 different opinions on how you should run things. Sure. But that's part of your job as a good assistant is to make your head coach look good, no matter what's going on. Um, you know, it's high-pressure situations, but at the end of the day, whether it's recruiting or developing or coaching, you got to make your, your head coach look good. That's that's all part of it. Yeah, and if you know, and if there is if there is disagreement, you hash it out and you talk it over and and so on and so forth. But the worst thing you can have in any athletic team is division, or or in your family. It's, it's division. And that's the quickest way to get division in, in athletics is when assistant coach isn't buying into the philosophy and, and the way things are done by the head guy. And that's when division starts. And that's, that's a recipe for disaster. Yep. I've been on both sides of it with staffs. You know, I've been on staffs that everything was good. And then I've been on staffs where it wasn't good. So you, right. And those are the, the communication part and the loyalty part are the, the biggest yeah. differences between the well, good I ones remember, and the, the not so good ones. I remember getting a phone call from my son, from Jake, uh, his freshman year at Alma College. And uh, it was in the fall and, and uh, he calls and says, uh, Dad, he says, what they're teaching here in hitting is, is not good. I mean, it's, it's so different than what you know, we were doing in high school. And I said, well, now, wait a minute, okay? Coach Clink is your coach. I'm your dad. He's your coach. You listen to your coach. And, uh, and, and I thought, you know, 
in thinking back, you know, I wish more fathers would have done that. And I'm not, I'm not doing one of these, but, but I think that could have been a defining moment in my son's career in college. Uh, you know, whether he's going to believe in his coach or whether he's not going to believe in his coach. So I, I think, uh, I think unity is, is critical. I think we all have those crossroads. Mine were in high school with my coaches where my dad was like, no, you need to, you need to be quiet and you need to make sure you're listening to what they're doing because they're the ones that are in charge. We don't have a lot of that anymore in the society we're in for right or wrong. That's just not where we're at. Hopefully we get a little bit of that to come back. Jake Jr. What were your biggest adjustments then assistant coach? And then you go to, to being a head coach, get the job in November. What were the biggest transitions for you going from an assistant coach to head coach? Well, I think, uh, I think, I think it was Rick Sanquist uh, that told me, you know, when you become a, a head coach, you go from making suggestions to making decisions. And, uh, that is a, uh, that's something I don't think you're ever ready for. You know, you can be an assistant for, you know, at a high level for a long, long time. But once you get into that head coach's seat, it is, it's dramatically different, you know, and, uh, you know, you feel all the pressures of it. You're the one that gets the phone call at two o'clock in the morning. Now, you know, you're the one that gets the phone call from the academic coordinator saying, you know, that, uh, Johnny missed class today and, and things like that. And, and so, um, you know, just making those decisions uh, is uh, is something that's just so so dramatically different. You know, uh, you know, and then and you know, I mean, you look on the baseball side, running the program, budget, um, scheduling, you know, all of it that's involved. Um, there was so much more off the field that I wasn't necessarily prepared for. Um, you know, because he's as, as an assistant at especially at Eastern Michigan, I was on the field all day. You know, I was mowing the infield. I was dragging the infield. I was, you know, fixing the mound, fixing the plate. Practice starts. You know, you're working with your guys with early work and afterwards. You know, and and uh, extra work after and things like that. I was on the field all day long, and now as a head coach, I'm in meetings. It feels like all day long, and I'm rushing to get a practice plan together, and uh, uh, you know, heading out to the field. And it's just just complete two completely different things. That uh, um, again, I don't know that you're ever prepared for it. No, no chance. Once you get in the seat, then you just got to roll with it. It does get easier. I right. I tell guys, it's like having a kid, like the first 12 months, like your your hair's going to be on fire and your head's going to fall yeah. off multiple times. But then after the first 12 months, then it does slow down and get, get much easier because you have it a little does. bit better idea of how to handle things, how to yeah, handle all the administrative sure. stuff and the on the field stuff. For sure. But, you know, I remember getting that job and sitting down at that desk and going, holy smokes, you know, uh, what did I, what did I get myself into here? <laughs> Jake Jr., what has going to an eight-team Big Ten tournament done for Big Ten baseball? Well, I think you've seen, you've seen the results in the teams that have gotten to Omaha. You know, I think, uh, I think giving our guys, our, our, our teams more of a chance to get to an NCAA yeah. tournament um, you know, I, I think uh, you look at the depth that, that our league has had. And, and uh, you know, I think if you really pay attention to Big Ten baseball or, or you're in it, um, you know, I think you, you, it's very quick to, you're very quick to realize that there is a lot of talent in this conference. There's a lot of good teams in this conference. And, uh, um, you know, it, it maybe flew under the radar for a little while. But, you know, I think when we, uh, 
you know, we had a pretty good club with an RPI in the, in the mid forties, I think in 2000, I want to say 13, maybe it was, and, and finished seventh, you know, and, uh, stumbled the last two weekends, finished seventh in the conference and, uh, didn't make the tournament. And, uh, had we made the tournament, I think we, we would have gotten an at-large bid to the NCAA tournament. So now expanding the tournament you see um, is one of the factors. I mean, there's a lot of them, obviously. we got great coaches in our conference and great players in our conference and facilities are fantastic now. Um, you know, so we're, you know, we're getting five, you know, teams into the NCAA tournament, you know, hopefully more down the road. But, uh, uh, you know, expanding that tournament has really put teams into a, into a position. A couple of years ago, we had Iowa and Northwestern in the, in the championship game, you know, and, and probably I don't think either one of those teams would have gotten a bid uh, had they not won it. And so it gives, you know, more teams an opportunity, um, you know, and I think it is, you know, and, and I don't want to get to get lost in, in all this, but the student athlete experience, uh, I think is huge, you know, and playing in that tournament, playing in it in, it in Omaha, um, you know, in front of great fans, I think the student athlete experience is just absolutely tremendous. Um, and so, yeah, no, no, um, no, nothing but positives as far as, uh, I'm concerned, moving that tournament for eight teams. Yeah. Coach Dom and I would talk about it a lot. I'm like, coach, we need to try to get to an eight team tournament. You know, I, I know people are talking about, you know, it maybe hurts the one and two. I'm like, coach, we'll start getting more teams into the regionals when we start getting more teams into the conference tournament yeah. and it's happened. Yeah. So I'm happy for you guys. It's, it's great for the league. What have been your biggest adjustments recruiting this summer? I know you guys are still stuck on campus. Is it, I know it's an adjustment. Are you getting in everything you need to get in, you know, even though it's all virtual now and you're watching on, on the computer screen, are you still able to get everything in now? No, um, no, I don't think anybody is, you know, I mean, that's kind of the reality of it. You know, I don't think there's any substitute for going and, and watching a kid play in person. I think, uh, you know, what he does on the field is, is, is great. And you can, you can get a, an idea, I think when you do it virtually, but you know, we're, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, on and off the field, I'm interested in between innings and before the game. And well, after you can't game. talk to the coaches face to face then right. either. Like that's the, that's the thing that guys like you that have been around it a long time, you get, you get set in your ways of actually being at the yard and you have that routine of, okay, I'm going to go talk to the coach and talk to him for a while. Like you just don't get those same interactions. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's very true. And I think it's, it's more difficult to be as thorough probably, you know, and I think, uh, uh, so that's a frustration, you know, but again, I, it is what it is. I mean, we're all in the same boat and we're all trying to navigate it together. Uh, and, uh, you know, from a, uh, you know, from a recruit standpoint, you know, I think, uh, you hate to see guys panic. You hate to see guys, uh, you know, jump the gun. Uh, you know, and I would encourage, you know, those guys and we have just, you know, I think just, just to be patient, uh, and make sure you're making the right decision, which is really nothing new. I mean, we've always talked about that, but I think it's extremely important now, um, because of this time where it's just, it's been tough to evaluate kids, you know, it's been, and, uh, you know, going on recommendations and suggestions and, and, uh, you know, I mean, every, every coach is calling and, you know, want to recommend their guys. And that's great. I mean, you want to, you want to have guys that are, uh, you know, highly thought of by their coach. And at the same time, you still got to see it. You still got to go out and see him play. And, and that's been ham, uh, hampered a little bit. And so not only that, but, you know, coming on campus, I mean, uh, you know, we're pretty proud of what we have. It's I'm sure a lot of people are, and we like to show off our, our campus and our facilities and, and I think that's a really a time where you get a chance to sit down face to face and get to know people. 
uh, on both ends of it, you know, from the, from the recruit standpoint, getting to know us and our staff uh, and us getting to know them. And so that's, you know, that's been uh, challenging too, I think a little bit, but, you know, I think the, you adapt and adjust and you kind of change some of the ways that you do things and, and uh, you know, you make it work. That's what we asked our team to do in March. Uh, you know, we can't, you know, we can't do anything about it. We can only control, you know, how we react to it. And we've tried to take that same approach uh, on the recruiting st- from the recruiting standpoint. Jake Jr., you've had a chance to travel outside the United States. What has that helped your perspective, your life perspective, being able to travel outside of the United States? Yeah, it's, you know, I've been, a, been fortunate to, you know, take several trips to South Africa with our Athletes in Action guy uh, here on campus and uh, been to the Dominican Republic a, a number of times. I think, you know, perspective is really, I think, what, what it, uh, um, you know, is the first word that comes to mind. I, I think, you know, when you, when you walk through one of the townships in, in uh, you know, suburban Cape Town, South Africa, and, and see homes that are put together, uh, using scrap metal and, uh, um, you know, just anything that they could find to, to put a house together. But, um, you know, I, I see the, you know, we, I, I'll never forget driving by a home that was like that uh, and seeing a, a young lady out on the front sweeping the, uh, sweeping the doorway, you know, and just, uh, uh, again, perspective, you know, take care of what you have. And, you know, I'm sure in her mind, you know, what she had wasn't a whole lot, but, you know, it was hers and she's going to treat it right and take care of it, you know? And so you can bring that back to your own program, I think a little bit, and, you know, going to the Dominican Republic, you see the passion that these kids have for the game and, and uh, you know, the work that they do to try to get better, uh, to try to get off the Island and try to get to the United <laughs> States. And, um, you know, they put everything they have into the game um, and the way that they play and the way that they work. And uh, it is an all day thing every day. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the passion, again, that they have is something that I think we can learn a lot from. Uh, and it was fortunate to take my team down there, uh, as a lot of, you know, guys have. But uh, I think it was a real eye-opener eye opener for our guys. And not only the baseball side of it, but, you know, we had a chance to do some community service. We went into a, uh, an underprivileged neighborhood and painted some houses there. And I think, again, that was really uh, a great thing for, you know, for our guys. I brought my son with me, and, and he was able to. <coughs> kind of see that too and, and I, these are things that, that these guys are never going to forget and I, I think it certainly helps you appreciate what you have and what you you know what you've been able to uh uh you know been being able to take advantage of jake senior what recommendations do you have for any coaches parents or players listening in right now recommendations well well uh you know, I th- the recommendations I would give the parents is, uh, you know, trust your your son's coach. You, you've got uh, you've given that coach your son for three years, four years, or whatever, and uh, you know, believe in him, trust him, and convey that message to your son, so that there is that relationship, uh, you know, with player coach. And and I'm big on relationships with. Uh, within your program. I, I think you're really, uh, you're really swimming in, in uh, some deep water. If, if those relationships are not being built and being met within the program and you don't want to divorce the parents from your, uh, from your program, but at the same token, you've got to keep, they've got to keep their distance 
and, and trust the coach as to what he's doing. And, and uh, uh, I, I think that's a real big part of it, especially today. I hear horror stories coming out, uh, you know, with parents and coaches and administrations and stuff like that. And, and that's where I think, again, unity is, is critical uh, within your ball club and with your, your families, the parents and, and so forth. Uh, everybody's on the same page. And I think that's, uh, you really got to struggle to get there. And, and once you're there, I think you're going to find success. And I think it alleviates a lot of headaches. I think people, I think parents oh. create their own headaches right now. And if you really do just yeah. trust the people that you're putting your, your child into and trust them, it's going to alleviate a lot of the headaches that we're seeing right now with all of that. That's for sure. Jake Jr., what what resources, say we got a young coach out there, what resources should they dive into? You've been doing this a long time. What's helped you along the way? Um, you know, even more recent stuff or even stuff that you've used in the past. What are some resources where coaches can dive into right now? Well, you know, Ryan, I mean, I think what you guys are doing is fantastic. I mean, the the, the video resources, the barnstorming stuff, the, the clinics, um, I think it's all outstanding. I mean, as a young coach, Rick Sanquist took me to my first uh, ABCA convention in uh, in Nashville uh, back in 1995, maybe it was, um, you know, and I was there for that, uh, you know, for that speech where the plate is 17 inches wide, you know, and uh, one of the more famous speeches now, I think, in, a, in, a, in college baseball, I, I, I very vividly remember sitting there watching it uh, when he walked out with that plate around his neck and, you know, everybody thought he was crazy, but uh um, you know, that, that I really do believe is, uh, is huge. I mean, the, the network that you create, um, I think will help determine where you go, you know, and I think, uh, uh, just sitting around talking baseball, you know, in, in between the two years that I was at Iowa central, I got a chance to work camps all over the country. I worked at Illinois camp and sat down with Dan Hartlib and, uh, and, and Murph and itch and, and all those guys just talking baseball and went down to Florida and when Andy Lopez was there, worked his camp and, you know, sitting around at night, just talking baseball and just, you know, trying to ask as many questions and, and learn as much as I could from, from all these guys. And, and, you know, again, I think, uh, as a young coach, don't be afraid to pick up the phone. Um, I remember sending, uh, sending resumes out and uh, to, to probably 120 different programs uh, across the country when I was uh, at Iowa Central looking for that next job, you know, uh, and I got a call back from Jerry Kendall. I got a call back from Ron Polk, uh, you know, and I got a call back from Andy Lopez and, and just those guys that said, hey, you know, appreciate it. Um, you know, we don't have a spot for you, but if you want to come down and, and work a camp or, you know, however, can, how can I help, you know, that type of thing. And, it really meant a lot to me. It was a good lesson for me. I think, uh, you know, these are some of the, the heavy hitters in college baseball at the time. And um, they took the time out to, you know, to, to call me back. You know, I was just an assistant coach at a junior college, you know, and uh, that, that really meant a lot to me. That was a, a, a pretty big learning experience for me. And, uh, um, you know, just again, try to grow your network. Don't be afraid to pick up the phone. Don't be afraid to, to ask questions and, uh, um, you know, utilize the resources that you that you have. And if you don't think you have any resources, you need to turn around and and uh, and take a step back and start over again, because there you know, there are plenty of resources out there for you. Uh, you got to take advantage of them, though. It's not going to come to you. You got to go out and get it. You know, Ryan, to, to pick up on what Jacob's just saying that uh, 
I remember when I, I got my first uh, head job at uh, in 1973. And, uh, you know, and in our first day of, of practice, you know, and leading up to that, I, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I've got to, I've got to teach this kid how to catch a ground ball. You know, I was a catcher, so, you know, I, I had a pretty good idea on how to teach, you know, that, that aspect of it, but, and, and now I got to teach this, this pitcher to throw a curveball and, and, and so forth. And I was scared to death. And, and that first year I had to bluff my way through and I had a pretty good experience in baseball, but I thought I really, I really bluffed my way through that first year. And, and, uh, but, you know, going to clinics, going to a number of clinics, talking to this coach, talking to that coach. And, and I, I developed a very good friendship with Danny Litweiler, who was a co head coach at Michigan state at the time. And, and I would work a lot of his camps and, and bend his ear. And, and that's, and that's how you really learn the game is, you know, in base, you know, a lot of baseball, baseball coaches are, are thieves, you know, they okay. steal from, Buddy, <laughs> and uh, not not steal, but they get they get all their uh, they get so much from other coaches and that they can apply to their own program and and uh, you never know enough and once you think you you do know everything you better get out. That's part of getting out of your own comfort out of your comfort zone too as a young coach is reaching out to coaches and talk to them. Norm, Norm DeBrien at Arkansas was my one. We all have. We all have those ones early on that you would call and they would call you back, but Coach DeBrien was mine. I He had no business calling me back when I was at James Madison, but he always, if he, he would either pick up or if I left him a message, he would call me back. And I was always amazed that the head coach at Arkansas was even willing to, to call me back. It was amazing to me. And, you know, I think we all have those great memories early on of guys that treated us right. And then we want to try, try to pay it forward for the, the next generation of coaches that are out there as well. Yeah, for sure. What are some, I like asking early morning and evening routines. What are some early morning routines or evening routines that you guys have that you like? You're both in good shape, both have a lot of energy still. Um, what are some early morning routines or evening routines that you're doing that you like? Good. <laughs> <laughs> well, my, you know, as you get older, the routines are really important. <laughs> and, uh, and, but I start my day off. I, you know, we're a family of faith. And, and so I start my day off with, with a quiet time. And, and, uh, and after that, I, I head to the golf course. Love and it. I, so does my dad. Been, well, I've been playing golf four or five days a week. And, and the thing that I, you know, I, I, I'm enjoying, I am having more time with my son and my grandson that I have ever had before. We've played more golf together this summer than we have, you know, in years past. And uh, it's so in that aspect, it has really been good for me. So that's basically my routine is, you know, I'll wake up, have my quiet time, you know, shower, shave and hit the links. <laughs> and, you know, Ryan, for me, I think it's, it's, it's fairly similar, but, uh, you know, I'll, I'll get up and, and kind of get ready for, uh, uh, you know, for the day, but then, uh, you know, get a workout in, um, you know, try to go for, you know, maybe a run uh, and try to get myself into better shape. But, 
you know, I'll go for a run and that's kind of my quiet time as well. I'll listen to a, a couple podcasts or, you know, um, you know, put the Bible app on and, and, uh, you know, and listen to some of that, but, uh, um, you know, some great, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really kind of into a guy named Tim Keller right now, uh, who's a phenomenal preacher out in New York city. Um, and, and so, you know, uh, I'll go for a run and listen to a podcast there and, uh, and come back and shower and, you know, kind of get some work done. But, you know, dinner for us, uh, I think is a really important time. And, and growing up, it was always, you know, dinner with the four of us as a family. And, uh, you know, for the last, you know, what, five months now, we've had dinner at the table, the five of us uh, together, yeah. you know, just about every night. And it's been fantastic. And that's become part of our routine. And, uh, uh, you know, dinner, and then we'll clean up after dinner, take the dog for a walk, and then just kind of relax with our family. You know, I think, uh, you know, the job is is such a, uh, it lends itself to you, you know, how it is you're going all the time. Uh, and we've really tried to take advantage of the time as a family um, and just to kind of relax, you know, a little bit. So whether we're playing a game or watching a, watching a game on TV or just watching something on TV, you know, as long as the five of us, uh, you know, my three kids and my wife are around, it's kind of been the, uh, the evening routine. It's been really kind of calm and, and relaxed. And, uh, um, you know, my oldest daughter leaves for, uh, leaves to go back to college in a week. Uh, we dropped my son off yesterday at Hope Cows to play for us. Uh, I saw Super. that. Uh, you know, so we try to take advantage of that time together while we had it. And, uh, it, it's really, you know, as tough as that all has been, you know, losing the season and the challenges of recruiting, you know, and all that. I, again, I would echo what my dad said. I think the positives of it are the time that we've had together as a family is something that, you know, we'll never have again, you know, because kids getting older, going off different places and going their own ways. And, and that's all part of life, too. But uh, we've really tried to enjoy this time together. Thank you both very much for coming on with me. So it's tremendous. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you, Appreciate Ryan. it, man. Thank you. Thanks to Coach Boss Jr. and Senior. Uh, they're both uh, great people in the game of baseball. Uh, Coach Boss Jr. has always been someone I've enjoyed uh, time talking to about baseball and life. Uh, he's always had a great perspective on coaching. Uh, I have a lot of respect for both of, of Coach Boss Jr. and Senior. Um, you know, they're great examples of doing things the right way. So if you don't know much about either of them, I uh, would reach out to both of them. They're great guys. Again, I want to thank John Litchfield, Zach Hale, and Matt West for all they do for me with helping get the podcast out there uh, via Apple, our website, Spotify, and also pushing it out on social media. And then feel free to reach out to me via email, rbrownlee at abca.org, Twitter at CoachB underscore ABCA, Instagram at RyanBrownlee17 or direct message me via the MyABCA app. So hit me up. Uh, I love interacting with people. Again, this is Ryan Brownlee signing off for the American Baseball Coaches Association. Thanks, and leave it better for those behind you.